So last month, uh, 40 of our leaders, uh, elders and staff, deacons, men and women who are leaders here, got together uh, to answer five questions. And uh, can we throw those up on the big screen, Greg? Yeah. So here. So what does Jesus want for the people of Miamisburg? And how do we know that? Because the, and we're talking about what scripture tells us this is what Jesus wants for people. What's the biggest need in Miamisburg, uh, Miami Valley? Uh, who is God already using here? And what does, how is God already using MCC to accomplish um, these things? So we're going to stop for just a moment. And uh, to say to those of you who are new to MCC, or maybe this is your first Sunday here, my name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor. Really appreciate you being here today. And if you're trying to figure out who we are, what kind of church we are, I want you to know that we are the kind of church that every year asks God, what do you want for us next? What is it you want us to do for the sake of your name and the power of your kingdom? What is it you want for us? What do you want us to do next year? And if you're joining us online, really glad that you're there as well because we know that you'll check us out there. Uh, most people will check us out there before they'll join us here, but we do hope you'll join us here uh, quickly. Uh, so every year we ask God, what do you want us to do next year? And part of the answer to that question, by the way, seemed pretty obvious to us. Because one of the things that we've been working on the last couple of years is the discipleship path here at MCC. Uh, our discipleship team, led by Adam Leppard, who is our discipleship pastor, has been working on this. And we've received input from you through a couple of surveys, uh, where you are in your faith journey, uh, journey, and determining what MCC can do to best help you continue to grow. Or if you sensed that you had stalled in your faith, you've kind of plateaued for the moment. What is it that we can do uh, to help get you unstuck and begin growing again? And I just want to say that the discipleship path uh, is not, it's not a quick fix by any means, and so it's obviously part of what we will continue to put into play. But another thought, along with those five questions, another thought kind of bubbled to the top, and it's a quote that's on your notes. So if you have the U version on your, on your phone up, if you've got your handout from this morning, C.T. Studd said this. The light that shines farthest shines brightest at home. And maybe you've heard me say that before because that, that quote has been stuck in my head for a while, but it's begun to bother me. Now, and it's not because we're not doing anything here at home. Please don't hear that. The last question that we asked of those five was to remind us that, of course, we're doing things here at home. Most significantly, members here at MCC lead the charge at Helping Hands, the food pantry in town. We, we have a member who leads the charge at Threads, which distributes free clothing to over 350 appointments per month, over 1,000 different people over three months. And I was talking to Joe Beth, who leads that charge, and uh, she told me that we've added 100 extra appointments between now and Christmas because of anticipated need. And I just want you to know we also have other ministries right here at MCC. Uh, and then there are others that we partner with in the area. Our kitchen team met just this past Wednesday to fill up the freezer because we anticipate needs going into Christmas. Uh, fill of Grace Farm, Bog, all of those things. But that quote by C.T. Studd, along with what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, when he tells us that you are the light of the world. Along with uh, uh, what James says at the end of the New Testament, knowing that James says that if we resist the devil, that he will flee from us. And I don't know about you, but I've picked up this sense that darkness seems to have settled in around here, not here, in our city. Addiction, hunger, homelessness, a sense of hope. 
And it's not, again, it's not that MCC has been passive, but I sensed an urging from God that we need to be more aggressive as we go into next year in dispelling the darkness, for that where the kingdom of God sits, the darkness should actually be on the run from us. And I like something else that C.T. Studd said. It's on your uh, notes as well. Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. And so these questions were burst this fall to begin to ask God how he would use us here even more to dispel the darkness closest to MCC. And so these first two questions uh, that we've got, what does Jesus want for the people of Miamisburg and how do we know that? We wanted to make sure that as a church, as the kingdom of God in this place, that we were looking, we want to know what the Bible will tell us because the Bible will give us direction about what Jesus wants for people in our city, just like the Bible, if we'll listen, will give us direction for our lives every day. And that third question, what's the biggest need? And how does, like, what, how does Jesus, how does what Jesus wants for people, how does it line up with the greatest needs here in Miamisburg? So our leaders began to answer that. And I've met with a couple of leaders in our city uh, over the last month. And just this past week, uh, there were three of us uh, who went and met with other leaders in our community who, and this was really interesting, surprising to us, they've been asking the same, coincidentally, asking the same question that we've been asking. It's almost as if God is working ahead of us and beginning to pull people together. But we wanted to remember that God's already at work here and we've been part of the answer to his need in our area. That was the point of the last two questions. But the question is, what does God have in store for us next? So that's what we asked him. So this week and next, I want to share with you uh, our ministry plan for next year and how we are looking, uh, how we're looking to help you take your next step in your faith journey. That's part of what we're doing next year and how MCC will be even more intentional in, in just chasing the darkness here at home. So there's this story Jesus tells. It's in Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 10. Uh, you'll find those on the U version again. It's a story that you may be familiar with. Uh, also in our notes this morning uh, on the handout, you'll find those in the notes there. So let's check this out, this story maybe you're familiar with. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit, e to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law, Jesus replied. H how do you read it? Well, first, so first of all, Luke tells us, his gospel tells us that a religious expert wanted to test Jesus. So he wasn't, this wasn't a real sincere question. He was using it to, to try to trick Jesus. So if you were trying to test Jesus, if you were trying to trick him, what would you, what would you ask him? I would probably say something like, I'm thinking of a number between one and 10. What is it? You know, or something like that, which by the way is why I'm, <laughs> Of course, I'm not a lawyer, uh, but Jesus turns the question back on this guy. Now, as part of the background, I want you to understand that Orthodox Jews, strict Orthodox Jews, uh, wore leather boxes called phylacteries. Some of them would be tied to their foreheads. Some they would have tied uh, to their wrists. And these little leather boxes contained little strips of uh, papyrus with uh, scripture on it. One of the scriptures inside the box for every Jew would have been Deuteronomy 6.4. You shall love the Lord your God. The, the, uh, the scribes added Leviticus 19, 18, which tells us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And so when this 
uh, lawyer responds that way. Look at how Jesus responds to him uh, in verse 29. He says, uh, or 28, he says, you have answered correctly. And I don't know if you can see this lawyer turning to walk away, maybe holding that box in his hand and thinking to himself, you know, I've done that. And then suddenly he turns back to Jesus and he asks him uh, a question because he wants to understand the fine print uh, of what they're talking about. Verse 29, but uh, who, who exactly is my neighbor? I mean, is it, is it the people that I live on the cul-de-sac with? Is it the people I go to Kroger with? Is it the people in Miamisburg? Is it the people in Miami Va- in the Miami Valley? Who, who exactly is my neighbor? Which, by the way, just reminds us that lawyers can ask pretty good questions. Uh, verse 30 says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, so he starts to tell him this story. He was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. That was about 17 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho. Narrow passage, rocky terrain, desolate road, usually very dangerous. Anyone traveling alone uh, was an easy target because there were so many places for robbers to hide. And in the 5th century, Jerome would call this very road, this strip of road, the bloody way. And so this unfortunate man had been stripped and beaten and left for dead. And Jesus' audience in that day knew that he could have been ripping a headline from the newspaper. This happened so often in their day. Thankfully, verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And if this guy had any consciousness at all, he's thinking to himself, oh my goodness, a priest, now I'm saved. This is a man of God. And not just a man of God. Understand who this is. The priest was considered the holiest person there was among the Jews. He was entrusted with offering sacrifices for the sins uh, of the people. And he was allowed to go into the temple further than ordinary people could go. If anyone was going to reflect the character of God, it was going to be this priest. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Read that. He went out of his way to avoid doing the right thing. On his religious list of things that make God happy, this didn't score high enough. He had appointments maybe to keep with other religious leaders. He may have had church business he had to attend to. Or maybe he thought, you know, this isn't my fault. I don't need to be getting involved with this. Uh, This guy's traveling out on this dangerous road all by himself. Maybe he's a member of a rival gang. Maybe this is a gang thing, rival gang. Maybe he deserved it. And if this guy is a bad guy and he deserved it, man, and then I'm helping a bad guy. Oh, man, that'd be And he may have been right. He may have been right. But even if he was, it doesn't sound a whole lot like Jesus, does it? Verse 32, so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, the people in Jesus' day would have recognized what he did next, even though we might not uh, pick up on it. Jesus moves down the Jewish religious hierarchy just a little to a Levite. Levites assisted in the temple with worship and in caring for the temple. They weren't considered as holy as the priests, but they were still highly regarded in Jewish society. So he walks over to get a better look. But once his curiosity is satisfied, he too crosses the road and and heads on his way. Now, here's what I want you to remember. Those religious leaders are in the audience Jesus is talking to. Those people are there that day. I'm going to stop the story right there this morning and just sit on this for a minute. Because uh, what we're about to talk about troubles me. 
that I know. If you're looking at it, I know. We're not, we're just halfway through the story. We're not even to the good part yet. Uh, but, but I want to make an important distinction Jesus is making here as he tells this story. Do you know why the, the priest and the Levite troubles me in this story? Do you know why they trouble me? It's for the same reason it troubles me when Jesus talks about Pharisees or talks to the Pharisees. It's because I know who they are. They're the religious leaders of that day. Do you know who that is today? That's me. And it's not just me. Please don't hear that. It's our elders. It's our staff. It's our deacons. It's the men and women who lead ministries around here who met a month ago. This is who, and when Jesus speaks to the religious leaders of his day, I sit up and take special notice because most of the time he just doesn't have a lot of good things to say to them or about them. The nicest thing Jesus said about the religious leaders of his days in Matthew 23, he says the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey what they tell you. But don't follow their example because they don't practice what they preach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands, and they never lift a finger to ease the burden. The nicest thing Jesus could say was they teach you, they're accurate in what they teach you about the law, what the law says, but they don't even do it themselves. And then they try to crush you with religion. Now, here's the thing, because I want to make sure you get this too. The Pharisees started out with all kinds of good intentions. Matter of fact, they started hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. This all happened in the Old Testament. Israel is in captivity. They were in captivity a couple of times before the Old Testament ends. And part of what happened when the conquering uh, occurred was that it meant moving Jewish people to the conquering country so they could be assimilated uh, into that culture, marrying their people, learning their ways, worshiping their gods. And these were the Jews who wanted to remain faithful to God. As a matter of fact, the word Pharisee means separated ones. They wanted to be separated from the foreigners who were trying to influence them into false religions. And they wanted to be separated from the Jews who were allowing themselves to be assimilated into that. They wanted to be separated for purity. The Pharisees were wanting to be faithful to God. Let me say it this way. The Pharisees wanted to be pure by following God's laws and not compromising to the culture in which they lived. We might say that's what we're trying to do today as followers of Jesus. As Jesus followers, we are to reflect the kingdom of God when it differs, when it begins to move away from the way our culture looks. Do you not see how this is a good thing? At least it started out a good thing. But here's one I want to make sure you catch as we prepare for what is next in 2019. Because individually, there's, there's something that we have to decide. Not as a church, but you. Everyone in this room, everyone who's listening to this, has to decide for yourself. Individually, we each have to answer two questions. They're in your notes today. And here's the first one. Is my faith about rule keeping or relationship building? That's the first question. Is my faith about rule keeping or relationship building? Now, this is a question we need to figure out for ourselves because it impacts how we go about following Jesus. You see, for the religious leaders, it was all about 
rule-keeping. And just so you know, the priest and the Levite in this story have a good reason, a real reason for avoiding this whole mess. God's Old Testament law sets up all kinds of rules. Some of them were about what is clean and what is unclean. One of the rules is don't touch dead people because then you'll be unclean. Don't touch dead people. Seems like a pretty good rule to me. I like that rule. So if this guy goes over to help, rolls him over, and finds out that he's dead, he's contaminated for seven days, and he cannot help the people who are alive and really need him. He won't be able to do his church job for seven days. So this guy felt that it was important to try to please God by following the rules rather than helping people. And I don't know if you ever wonder this or not, or maybe if this has even crossed your mind as, as you've been here. I wonder how many of us, MCCers, might drive right past a real need on our way to a church function, maybe even on our way in here this morning. We might have driven past a real need because, you know, we've got about 10 minutes to get there, and it's an 11-minute drive, so we've got to hurry. Maybe you remember Jesus being asked in Matthew 22, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The most important rule is love God. The most important rule is not keep the rules. That's not the most important rule. The most important rule is love God. Look at what God says all the way back in Isaiah. Talking to the, the Jews in the Old Testament, the, the Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. The problem is when our faith uh, is about rule-keeping to earn God's love, our hearts generally are not into it. When our faith is all about rule-keeping, our hearts don't follow. And he's not merely looking for people who are good at keeping the rules. He's looking for people whose hearts belong to him. That's why uh, we read in John 14, 15, if our hearts belong to him, this is interesting. This is what Jesus says. If you love me, you will what? You will be obedient. If you love me, you will obey me. Loving leads to obedience, but rule keeping doesn't always lead to love. I just want to make sure you know that. Listen, I love Sandy. And because of that, there are rules I will gladly follow. There are rules I've put in place because I want to show her that I love her. I will celebrate her birthday in a big way. She doesn't even like that. So I've learned to temper my enthusiasm a bit. That plus my birthday follows hers, and she threatens retaliation. <laughs> Listen, there are other rules. I will clean up the kitchen after meals because she cooks, so I will clean. I will fill her car up with gas. I, I will carry the heavy things, not because she can't do those things, but because I don't think she should have to. A country song reminds me to love her as if she's mine to lose. The Bible reminds me, Paul reminds me to love her as Jesus loves the church. I don't follow them because if I don't, she'll be mad. I follow them because I love her. Can I remind you of why this is an important distinction? In Exodus chapter 34, all the way back toward the beginning, we read this, talking about God. He is the God who is passionate about his relationship with you. 
God wants you to let him know you. Listen, it's not that he can't know you without your permission. He just wants you in on it. He wants you to let him know you, and he wants you to know him. So we need to decide, is my faith about rule-keeping or relationship building? And I want to say this to you before we leave this. You might start out answering one way and end up answering the other. I did. I grew up trying to obey God so I wouldn't make him mad. Maybe that's where you began as well. But now I obey him because I love him. And I want him to see with my life that I love him. Here's the second question. Is my faith about attendance or journey? Let me say that another way. Am I following Jesus or am I just going to church? That's, that's really the question. The distinction is that in t- attendance implies showing up and sitting down. Journey implies movement. As a matter of fact, in these, would you write in these two blanks, would you write the words next step? Paul wrote, about, uh, wrote this about his faith and when he wrote to the church in Corinth. He wrote this, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. My granddaughter is almost three years old and is on the backside of potty training. Pun intended. Uh, when <laughs> that was really funny when I wrote that down. Uh, when she was just beginning the process, we would say things Uh, And maybe you've heard these things. Maybe you've said these things yourself, too. She'll do it when she's ready, right? She'll do it when she's ready. What does that mean? That means the child has to decide. Keep in mind, from their vantage, they're in a diaper. They're okay just the way they are, right? Am I right? Listen, as a child, have you ever thought about this? As a child, why would they decide? to make the decision to figure out if they have to go to the bathroom, discipline themselves to wait to go to the bathroom, and then find a place that is appropriate, preferably indoors, to go to the bathroom. Because we can encourage them, we can bribe them. If there's an older brother or sister they want to be like, I mean, it's easier, but only because the child has decided They want to change the way they behave. If you want to grow in your faith, we can help. And while our journeys are not identical, they are similar. There are practices that all of us need to put into play uh, if we are going to mature. We won't necessarily do them in the same order, and they won't necessarily look all the same, but we can help you determine what your next step is. That's why in Hebrews chapter 10 we read, Let us be concerned uh, for one another, to help one another, to show love and do good. Let us not give up meeting, the habit of meeting together, as some are uh, doing. Instead, let us encourage one another all the more since you see that the day of the Lord is coming near. That's why we come together like this. So we can help one another and to encourage one another. It's why two times a month I meet with three other men from here at MCC. We want to help encourage each other to be men of God. And so we talk about what's going on in our lives and what does the Bible say about that. And we pray for each other and we follow up with each other. But I have to decide that for myself. And you have to decide that for yourself. And in just a few moments after we sing and after Drew prays, we're going to take communion. 
which is a time for us to remember what Jesus did on the cross for us. And to make this commitment, by the way, every time we take communion, we are recommitting ourselves. It's not just a time for remembering and examining. It is a time to one more time re-up for this faith that we say that we hold on to. We take the cup that reminds us of his blood that was shed for us. We take the bread, which represents his body, that was broken for us. And we make this recommitment to God that I am all in again. And I will take my next step to grow in you. And if you've never determined to follow, I'd love to help you with that today. The song that we're about to sing says, Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Because Jesus is calling. You know, someone came over Thursday night and uh, was baptized into Christ because they made that commitment for the first time in their life. They wanted to make that commitment to him. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've come today and you've been wrestling with it and thinking through it. I just want to say today can be your day. After we sing or as we sing and after service is over, I'll be right down front. If you want to come up, we can talk about it today. We can set up a time to talk about it later today, this week, if you'd like. Would love to help you with that. Listen, today, today can be your day. Let's go to God. Father, thank you for who you are and who you've called us to be. Thank you that you don't allow us to wander by ourselves in this faith journey, that you give us next steps that we can follow. If we want to grow, if we want to make the decision, we can do that, but we have to make that decision for ourselves. So I pray, God, for us as a church, as we look at this story Jesus told, and what went wrong with the religious leaders? It went wrong because they started following the rules instead of staying in love with you. That's not who we want to be. So every week we, we come to a time in just a few moments after we sing, God, we'll come to this time where we get to hold the emblems that remind us of how much you love us. May that beckon to us. May that call to us to keep our hearts in the ball game follow you. And we pray this to your son Jesus' name.